trying things differently this week you know I've been going back and forth a little bit through monologuing and the interviewing uh, process which I wish I'll be continuing because I really do enjoy creating a space where people can discuss who they are discuss their artistry discuss their you know their divine path whatever they want to talk about I like holding space for other artists and creatives and people I admire and respect just to show who they are to the world I think that's important especially if you have um a platform like a, a podcast, but today's episode is going to be back to the monologuing. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. We got a great show lined up for you today. Um, this is the 13th episode, so I thought, you know, along with some things that interest me, I'd also delve into the number 13, you know, whether that be the history of the number 13. We're going to touch on briefly because we've touched on it a lot, but we're going to talk about the 13th Amendment a little bit. Um, and then as far as, you know, Things that I thought was um, interesting and, and worth speaking about, we're going to talk about samurai and um, just like the history of samurai because samurai the shit. So welcome back to Living with Will. I hope you enjoy and uh, buckle up, sit down, get ready, relax, and enjoy the show. So we're gonna start, you know, we're gonna get the serious, we're gonna, we're gonna knock down the serious, for starters, this week. Um, the 13th Amendment, we've, just, we've discussed it before, it is the amendment that essentially allows for slavery in the U.S. Um, to continue. And um, if you don't know what the 13th Amendment is, it suggests that slavery shall be illegal except in the case of punishment for crime. I mean, it's atrocious what they're doing to people. So. The 13th Amendment essentially is modern-day slavery. You know, you can you can be arrested, you can be forced to do labor for essentially no wages, and, uh, and you're treated as a subhuman, second-class citizen. Um, the reason that this is as... I mean, I mean it's problematic because it's fucking slavery, but 
The reason that it's even more problematic is that in the U.S. we incarcerate 24% of the world's prison population. That's roughly 2.3 million people. Of that population in jail, 30 34% are black. I'm going to start that over again because I want to have it right. 2.3 million people are incarcerated in the United States. That's 24% of the world's imprisoned population. Of that group, 34% are black. And black people only make up 13% of the overall population. You can see in the numbers how problematic that is, I hope. I really hope that you're not saying something in your mind, well, they must commit more crime, because that is racism. So let's try not to do that when we think about numbers like this. The statistics, the facts are there. This is a racist-driven system, and let's abolish it. Now, a problem with this, right, is let's say that people hold votes against the 13th Amendment, right? I took part in one in Colorado. Listen to how they phrased this vote. Shall there be an amendment to the Colorado Constitution concerning the removal of the exemption to the prohibition of slavery and involuntary servitude when used as a punishment for persons duly convicted of a crime? How the fuck are you supposed to vote for that? Let me say it again, and I want you to think in your head, would you vote yes or vote no? And then I'll tell you what the real vote should have been. The question is, shall there be an amendment to the Colorado Constitution concerning the removal of the exemption to the prohibition? That's three different fucking loopholes right there. The removal of the exemption to the prohibition? What the fuck? So, I don't know what you think your answer would have been, but the answer should have been yes, you are for the removal of the exemption to the prohibition, because that would have gotten rid of the 13th Amendment in Colorado. Um, this shit is, is ludicrous. I mean, I, I don't mean to, uh, you know, get all worked up, but, uh, how could I not? It's fucking slavery. Um, we got a lot of problems to deal with in this country, people. Um, and this is just scratching the surface, right? We, we got a mountain to climb, so I wanted to expose the summit to you. I wanted to start us with the 13th Amendment because the rest of our episode this week is not going to be as serious, um, but I wanted to start us off with the serious. You know, this shit is important, so I didn't want... You know, a lot of the time people only listen to X amount of the podcast, so I want to make sure if they're going to listen to any of it, they're going to hear about the 13th Amendment because this shit is fucked. Now let's keep it moving, okay? Because at the end of the day, it's about entertainment, right? I want to keep you entertained. I don't want to just make you upset. This shit is about having fun. This shit is about us all having a good time. So let's move into the history of the number 13. Now, what I find interesting about 13 is that you know, it's, it's got all these wonderful things about it. It's a prime number. It's a Fibonacci number. It's a happy number. It's a centered square number. And it's a Pythagorean triple. Am I a mathematician? No, not really. So I don't exactly know what that means, but it sounds cool as fuck. And for a long time, 13 was also a holy number. In Christianity, there was 12 apostles with Jesus making 13. <laughs> it's so funny. Baby Christ, but in my notes, I wrote Baby Chris. Amazing. Baby Christ received the Magi when he was only 13 days old. And in the Middle Ages, there was just kind of this fucking warping of the 13. Because that's when um, Judas... And I didn't realize that Judas had a last name. I probably should have known this. But that shows you how little uh, education I had on, on Holy Scriptures. But Judas Iscariot did not know that was like He became an unwelcome guest to the party of 12, right? So, so that's now he's the unlucky one. It was said that the Jews murmured 13 times against God during the Exodus and that Jesus was crucified on Friday the 13th. So 
for some reference, I didn't know how Friday the 13th became unlucky. So in the research that I did for this episode, it was cool to find out that that's where it came. I mean, cool is a wrong word choice, right? Like, obviously, I would have preferred that Jesus not been crucified. But it's cool that, um, you know, we, I now know the history of Friday the 13th. It's also believed in the Middle Ages that witches were inducted into groups of 13 people at age 13. Which is interesting because I was curious when I read that, like, how did they make sure that the coven stayed at 13 if they kept inducting people at 13? But that's neither here nor there. Gallows had 13 steps leading up to them. And there was a mass arrest and execution of the Knights Templar on, you guessed it, Friday the 13th, 1307. So there's this, you know, this long tradition of, like, a holy 13, and then all of a sudden they're just like, you know what, fuck 13, that shit's unlucky, and... You know, all this shit starts happening surrounding 13. It was also said if you had 13 letters in your name, you had the luck of the devil. I counted the letters in my name, William Gaines, and it was 13, but luckily I have a middle name. So, fuck you, devil. I'm not with your shit. I got like 20 letters or some shit in my, like, my name. Um, so, that's cool. You know, I, uh, I really enjoyed the research for this episode because I was curious about the number 13. And I was just like, you know what, let's make this episode about that shit. So now, I hope you know a little bit more about the 13th Amendment, a little bit more about the history of the number 13, and now the real meat of this episode is going to be about samurai culture. And I want to preface this topic by saying I am far from an expert, and even further from a historian. I'm simply a fan of the culture, and I want to share my fascination, but in no way should I be seen as an expert or an insider on this subject. I have a tremendous respect when it comes to cultures and valuing the people um, who are a part of the cult, you know, whose culture it belongs to, and they should be taken seriously and given their due respect. So when I wanted to be sure that I preface this topic with the fact that my knowledge is limited, and as is my, no my knowing and my understanding. This is just, you know, I'm trying to show um, my reverence to this culture. To begin with, the precise origin of samurai is shrouded in mystery and hearsay. And that's I kind of love that. That like it's this emergence of this like warrior class that we don't really know how it kind of began. And um, what we do know has kind of been handed down as legend or lore. So what we know is uh, roughly is that a thousand years ago they emerged kind of similar to the Knights of England, uh, but they were originally mounted archers. And also, I want to say, I'm probably going to butcher a lot of these, so please, you know, I'm, I'm trying to to give my respect to this culture, and I'm trying to say the words, um, but if I mispronounce them, it was a mistake. I in no way think that I'm correctly pronouncing this. I don't speak Japanese, but I want to preface, you know what I mean? I think it's important that we say if we're talking about cultures and we're talking about beliefs, you know, 
always make sure that people understand you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just in, imparting some of the wisdom and some of the knowledge and some of the information that I've learned over the years. So around, like I said, roughly about a thousand years ago, they emerged similar to the Knights of England, right? Um, but they, when they began, they, their, their origin was as mounted archers. It was only later that the art form would grow to include, it was only later that the art form would, it was only later that the art form would grow and include combat on foot using swords. That was a hard sentence for me to say. Anyways, so they'd eventually grow to use swords and swords ended up becoming the soul of samurai and, and you know, paramount to, you know, the history and the learning that we know now. But they eventually even used muskets, which I did not know. So their ideas were intertwined with Buddhism and J Japan's native Shinto religion. This would eventually lead to the samurai adopting a stringent code of behavior, devout loyalty, stern self-discipline, and a zealous defense of personal honor. And this, I think, is why we all really respect and revere the samurai, right? Is this code of conduct that they stood by. At least me, personally. That's what I fucking love about them, right? And um, one thing about the code is that it would manifest in the fact that it would, in, in fact, demand a form of suicide to maintain one's honor if, for example, the case of defeat or other such reasons. Um, Harakiri, otherwise known as belly cutting, otherwise known as seppuku, was uh, what this is named, and uh, it would you know it would change over time. So there was multiple ways that it could be performed. I think there was like the one horizontal cut, uh, then there was the two horizontal cuts, and then I think there was even a three horizontal cut, which sounds fucking horrifying. That you'd have to cut cut in pull up, pull out, and do that two more times, bro? Can you imagine? Oh my god, that would hurt. This actually ended up leading to having a second person take part in the ritual, wherein you would cut yourself, pull up, and then a second person, usually someone very close to you, would decapitate you. And this was to help preserve your honor. Um, and to reduce your suffering. I've heard multiple different things, you know, so I've heard that it's to reduce the suffering, but I've also heard it so that you don't scream out in pain so that it maintains your honor. Like I said, there's a lot of mysticism and mysteriousness to samurai culture, which is one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to it. Um, I love mystery. So over the course of the 700 year history, they would shape Japan both culturally and politically. Just a little bit of reference, Japan is about the size of California, so it's a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big landmass, but it's broken up into islands, right? So you know we're gonna have to go to to know more about Japanese culture. Rather, to know more about samurai culture, you need to know about Japanese culture. So as these times were moving, taxation was paid in the form of rice, and so military power dominated early Japanese political history. In the sixth century. The Yamato clan declared their leaders emperors and they began to widen across Honshu, which is the largest island in Japan. And so, um, from the Yamato clan was Prince Yamato. He was like a Herculean character uh, and he would arise from this. And he was like a mythical leader, right? And he was the archetype for future Japanese warriors. 
And, um, you know, I thought I'd, you know, I, I like the idea of while I give you a little samurai history, you give you a little Japanese history because I'm all about Japan. I really want to go there. So, you know, living with Will, right? It's in the name. You guys are going to know what, what the fuck interests me. And this shit is paramount. I fucking love samurai culture and I love Japan. Shout out Japan and anyone who likes samurai culture. You're good with me. So, you know, continuing down this vein, samurai means one who serves. And they originated somewhat as like a rural police. So, you know, um, at the time, like I said, taxation was paid in rice. And for you to get your taxes and to monitor land, you know, you needed someone to, to go out and, and, and do that, right? You needed someone to, to collect the taxes and, and protect the land. So this is where samurai come in. And like I said, they are kind of like a rural police. So for a samurai though, they require that they be paid in land rather than rice. So this is how the samurai became quite powerful quite quickly was because at the time land meant power because if you had land then that meant you had rice which meant that you had power, right? And so you had people till the land and you had farmers, right? So they became very powerful very quickly. Um, another interesting thing, their armor, it looks like it's made of metal but it's actually made of a combination of silk and leather but a fuck ton of both, right? So there is a lot of, this is why, you know, um, you see this emerging, um, you know, basically what I'm trying to say is like, there was a lot of reasons that samurai became very powerful, but they were also including, they were helping the economy, right? Because they have these very embroidered and beautiful armors. Um, and you know, there's a lot of stories about why they're so beautiful. I heard one story was because they wanted to look you know, magnificent in battle, but I also heard the reason they were so magnificent was so that they look amazing after the battle, like at the party, they just look lit, so, you know, there's a lot, of, this is what I love about samurai culture, you know, it's not really fully understood, um, so, anyways, moving forward, so, Kyoto, we got the emperor, and, you know, um, the advisors, and kind of the political emergence in Japan, right, Kamakura was a city that was started outside of Kyoto that had a samurai-led government that was led by the shogun. And uh, the shogun was kind of like the president samurai. I don't really, you know, he's like the lead samurai. Um, and if you can hear the horn in the, in the background, I want to apologize. I have a, a corn salesman who sells corn with a horn in my neighborhood and uh, you know support, support local business if you want some corn go see the horn guy but um, I apologize if it comes up in this if you enjoy the show please like comment and subscribe it would mean the world to me but regardless of all that I hope that you are safe I hope that you are happy and I hope that you continue to thrive and you continue to reap the benefit and the blessings and the successes that you deserve in life um, you deserve the best. I hope that everyone pursues their own form of unique genius. You know, we're all created uniquely and wonderfully, and we all have something that we can give. As I was saying, so um, samurai beliefs and code of ethics was based in Shinto and Buddhist thought. And I want to, Shinto is like the 
traditional Japanese religion and it's based in nature and ancestor worship. I don't know too much about it, so I'm not going to say more than that because I do not want to uh, guess and, and create misinformation. A quick thought for you all. As I was making this episode, I realized that I did you all a disservice by doing an episode about samurai but neglecting to have the discussion include explanations about Buddhism and Shinto kind of left out some cornerstone facts about the culture and the people that I'm discussing. So that was a mistake on my part. I want to apologize and I want to tell you that next week's episode, barring that it's an interview episode, the next monologue episode will be including brief descriptions of Shinto and Buddhism. Um, because, you know, it was, a, it was a lack of foresight on my part. Uh, my research should have included them, being that they are fundamental to what samurai are. So I wanted to apologize. And also, you know, this is part of the, um, the learning process for me is it's honing my voice, right? And so for you all, you know, uh, I hope that it, it sheds some light on. If you ever had posing an argument or describing someone as something, someone something, anyways, I'm rambling. But I wanted to apologize for not including more information, and I want to let you know that on a future episode, we will be discussing Shinto and Buddhism, because that is my bad. But anyways, moving on with the samurai culture. So, as I said, started as an archery form, and it leads into including swords, because, you know, you can't just focus on archery. Like, if someone gets up in your face, you got to pull a sword. So swords start taking more and more... Uh, importance and they were believed to have spiritual qualities that were taken very seriously so once i'll give you an example of how the spirituality of the swords is so important so there's a story of a swordsmith who meditated for a hundred days under a waterfall during the winter before creating a sword so they took this very seriously right they were more than just tools for war and i think that that is one of the coolest things about samurai is that they're these mystical, mythical warriors, but they had this inherent um, wisdom and honor and mysticism that surrounded them. And I think that's so fucking cool. A little bit more about the history of their swords, though. The curve on the samurai sword was, uh, was on purpose, and it was made so that the impact of fighting had less impact on your hand and wrist. It divided the impact more across the blade. So the design was also very practical beyond it's just spiritual, um, just spiritual as well. So as history progresses and as the samurai develop and become more and more a part of Japanese culture, we have what's called the daimyo begin, and, and they were like warlords who were under the shogun, and they were high-ranking samurai, right? They had lower-ranking samurai under them, they had land, and... Uh, what I think is really cool about Daimyo is that it was essentially an independent ruler and uh, it wasn't a title given by a king or the emperor, but rather it was a title that was given to yourself if you commanded the respect of other of men, right? Like, so, I just, I think that the Daimyo are, are very interesting as well because it's like, you gave yourself that title. You, you say, I'm a Daimyo. So... For you to say that, you gotta have a reason that you could back it, and that usually was that you had respect from your men. I think that's really fucking dope. Um, and also, you know, these warriors were very literate, and they would write the stories of their battles. Like these were, you know, um, very thoughtful warriors. Not just you know going into battle and cutting each other down, but they're writing poems about it, and you know, 
they have this inherent, you know, um, spirituality to them. I want to tell you a great story though about two daimyo, um, Shingen and Kenshin. Their lands bordered each other and they were rivals. And you know, there's a lot of discrepancy of whether they hated each other or they revered each other, you know, as kind of, you know, an admiration between rivals. But essentially, the story goes that Shingen's people were suffering from an enemy blockade. They were getting fucked from both sides, right? Like they're just getting screwed over. And as they're being attacked, you know, they're unable to access salt, which, um, I mean, I'm sure it's just as important now, but at the time it was needed to preserve and cure food uh, and meat, so they were starving, right? And so as the story goes, they're fucked over by this embargo, and Kenshin sent a caravan of salt to Shingen's people. And his advisor find out, and they're like, dude, what the fuck? What, like, why would you do that? Like, we had him. We had him. Uh, we were going to be victorious. Why would you do that? And to which he replied, battles are to be won with swords and spears, not with rice and salt. And I fucking love that, dude. So respectful. It's like, if I'm going to beat him, I'm going to beat him with my fucking hands. I'm not going to starve this man. Where's the honor in that? Gotta love that, man. Um, and obviously, you know, look, while I'm like revering samurai culture and, you know, Obviously, not all samurai were good, just like all, you know, military people across history have not been good, you know. Their uh, conquest is, for the most part, um, you know, death and, and pillaging and all the horrors that come with it. You know, obviously, I, I, I know that that's happening. I just think that samurai are fucking badass, and, uh, and so that's why we're doing an episode on it. But I in no way want to ignore the fact that war is horrible and to be condemned. Let's, let me just make that very clear. But manners and etiquette were very important as well. And uh, one of the coolest things I think about samurai, beyond all of that, is that samurai culture, there was the ability to change social groups. Which is, you know, you don't see that very often in ancient society. So people who came from humble beginnings could become rulers. And one of these men was Oda Nobunaga. He was a 16th century daimyo. His outstanding military skills made him many allies. People respected him. They fucked with him. And as an ambitious man, he sought to rule the entire country. And this is a dude who started from humble beginnings, you know, so he started out by arranging marriages between himself, other family members, and other powerful families, and then he asked for powerful warlords to become allies with him after creating these alliances, right? The ones who he wouldn't, he'd fight them, and, and he'd fight them with every means necessary, and that includes firearms, right? So what happened was these Portuguese came to Japan in the beginning of the 16th century, and uh, they had like three guns on the boat, and one of the dudes shot a duck with with his with his uh, musket. And the daimyo who was there was like, "That is fucking crazy, dude." I'm sure it was <laughs> you didn't say that, but he was like, "Whoa, okay, we need those." So he bought the guns from the Portuguese, and he had his blacksmith begin to incorporate and copy these new weapons. So Nobunaga was about that shit. He he used he used guns, um, and. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he was never able to see his vision become a reality. Uh, at He had basically united a third of all the daimyos before he was cut down by one of his generals. The story goes that he, the general didn't think he had gotten enough land from the work he had done. But basically, his vision was cut short. What happened was, 
it was his vision was actually continued by one of his disciples who was known as Toyotami Hideyoshi. So this dude is like the fucking rags to riches stories. So he he rose he was a saddle carrier, which I'm pretty sure we can all you know figure out the meaning of. He carried fucking saddles, and this man became the supreme ruler of Japan. That's the realest shit I've ever heard in my fucking life. So basically what happened was following his leader's assassination, he tracks down and murders the assassin, and Hideyoshi sees his power for himself as a daimyo after he punished the assassin. Basically what happened was he used his cunning and his ruthless military might, and he united all of Japan. And Hideyoshi implemented a gun, basically like a, uh, an ancient time gun control ban, he confiscated all the, all the swords from all the peasants of the country, and he melted them down. Uh, in order to create this massive statue of the Buddha. And he slammed the door on social mobility, though, which I think is... Let me rephrase that. So he created this gun control ban, uh, essentially. He took all the swords from all the peasants so that, you know, no one would... He wanted to create an era of peace, so he got rid of all the weapons. And once he did that, he slams the door on social mobility. So if you weren't already a samurai, you never could be after this. And this is where he started to go down the line of kind of like an authoritarian, despotic ruler. But it kind of seems like he already was. But he's trying to create peace. You know, I understand the man's trying to do what he's got to do. So he creates four social classes. The samurai, the farmer, the artisan, and the merchant in that order. And the samurai were set apart from the rest of society. So if you were a commoner, you could basically make two choices. You could be a samurai, which would mean you'd have the privilege of two swords. You would serve a lord, but you'd lose all ties to your land. That's a samurai now. If you decided to choose commoner, you'd have land, but no weapons. And so now the samurai had two swords. These represented kind of a badge of honor, a badge of rank, similar to like a cop's badge. But um, they also had, you know, um, real life necessities. So one of the swords was a long sword, uh, but that would be cumbersome indoors. So the short sword was usually what they would use inside. And that was the two swords. And so at this point, the samurai, essentially in theory, they have the right to execute you for basically whatever they want. I mean, they were like, they were uh, rural police. So they, they do what they want at this point because they're the only people with swords. In 1598, Hideyoshi dies in his sleep at 62. In 1603, he succeeded by Tokugawa Iyasu, who ruled with an iron and a genius fist. So this man was a daimyo, right? Um, and, uh, you know, well, essentially what happens is he becomes like, he's the shogun, but he's not... I forget the exact way that it's supposed to go, but like the shogun have to be descended from the original shogun, like the emperor has to do it, but I think he, he like forges that he's an actual descendant, but it's like a good enough forgery that the royal family is like, all right, that's straight, that'll do. Um, and so basically he becomes the shogun and he li he's living at Edo, I'm pretty sure. Y yeah, so he's at Edo and he basically has the daimyo, this is how he keeps peace, right, is he has the daimyo live half the year with him at Edo with their family in this like non-militarized complex like really lavish living but like not military at all like there's you know what I mean there's no protection there's no fortress you're just like chilling in these nice lavish homes and then the other half of the year you could go and live with your land and your and your castle and shit and all that but your family would stay in Edo 
And so this was kind of a way that he stopped the samurai and the daimyo who disagreed with him from conspiring. Due to this lack of conspiring from his adversaries, and he shut down the country uh, from foreign uh, nations, he led to, this led to 250 years of peace. Um, and during this 250 years of peace, the samurai found themselves in a peculiar situation because these were warriors. You know, and during wartime, they were necessary, but as there was no war, there was nothing for them to do. And they were these skilled warriors who were still getting a stipend from the state because they were warriors, but they had all this idle time, and they weren't doing anything. So in search of purpose, they began to read and to teach. So martial arts schools start popping up, primarily focused around swords. This starts thriving. Um, some became public administrators, politicians. Some entered into the monasteries. And... This warrior behavior became stylized, right? And this is really where I, I, I mean, this is like, I can't get enough of this shit. Basically, those who wore swords, the samurai, because no one else would could, they tried to create a code of conduct with which to live by. So in the early 18th century, several samurai scholars composed works that set forth rules and philosophies by which all samurai should live. And this was like the preservation of personal honor, mastering of martial arts, setting examples for society, duty to one's lord to the point of death. Um, there's a book called The Warrior Code called Hagakure. You can look it up. Um, it's a great example of this. And, um, you know, an example of one of the codes that I thought was interesting was like a samurai must burn incense in his helmet before battle so that if he's killed, the victor may have a memorable, pleasant experience once he's like beheaded him and he smells the incense. It's just wild. Just, you know, there's some really cool shit, right? The idea of service to a lord and duty to the point of death was a new thought, right? So there was a writing from the 14th century and it said that we attacked the enemy but started suffering casualties, so we fled. So in the 14th century, there was no stigma or no notion of dishonor. They weren't just about to die like that, right? You gotta flee if you're gonna die. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta retreat, regroup. Um, but later on, there grew this notion of protecting and dying for your lord. Um, and most samurai in the 16th century took these vows to the warrior code very seriously. So in the 18th century, there's a samurai story where a daimyo named Naganori was assigned to a ceremonial duty in the shogun's palace. And he was offended. So he's, he's assigned to this duty. Remember I told you the daimyo have to come and they have to stay with the shogun for half the year, right? So while he's there, he's assigned the ceremonial duty and he's being taught how to do it by this dude who's part of the shogun's staff. And the dude insults the daimyo. So, you know, based on his code of conduct, he, he's insulted, he's offended, so he draws a sword and he strikes at the dude's face. He, he slashes at his head. And uh, unfortunately for Naginori, drawing a weapon and attacking another samurai in the shogun's castle was a capital offense. So he was arrested and he was sentenced to commit seppuku, which he did, and, uh, and his lands end up being confiscated. And the samurai who worked there became known as Ronin. So one of Naginori's former men, known as Oishi Kuronosuke, and 46 of his comrades vowed revenge. Like I said in the beginning, and I'm going to say it again, I am so sorry if I butcher these names. I'm trying. 
I tried to reverse them, but um, I hope I pronounced it correctly. Um, but basically, these 47 Ronin Vow Revenge, they laid low for about three years, pretended to accept their fate. I mean, they're cheeky as fuck. They're like pretending that they're with it. Oishi is said to, they all take different roles, right? And Oishi, like, some of them are like working in the public uh, administration. Some people are working as laborers. Oishi is said to have taken on the role of a drunk who associated with prostitutes and homeless people. And I'm really curious to know if that was a conscious choice or if it wasn't. But nonetheless, they, they fucking finesse and they pretend that they, you know, are cool with the decision to murder their master. And um, they chill out until their target begins to relax and not expect an attack. And so that's when they make their move. So they pull up on him, they decapitate him, and they deliver the head to the grave of their master. And then upon which they give themselves up to the authority. Which is fucking badass, dude. So respectful. And once they give themselves up, they're told to commit seppuku, and they all do. All 47 of them. So the noble principles and the devout loyalty and the self-sacrifice of the samurai was shown to still have persevered throughout time, right? Because at this time, they haven't been really necessary for so many years. And um, there's a shrine that stands to the loyal and the selfless 47 Roman at the former house of Asano Naganori in Japan today. Which I think is so fucking cool. And there's also, you know, romanticizations. I think there's a Keanu Reeves movie about it, which is like, come on, you couldn't cast anyone else. But whatever. Regardless, 47 Ronin, dope fucking story. So... We're moving forward in time, and now it's the 1860s, the U.S. arrives, obviously we come up with some advanced guns, and we force our way into Japanese trade, because we're fucking trash, and we like to be imperialistic. So, we pull up on them, and, um, you know, the samurai aren't fucking with this shit, because the shogun is, like, cozying up with the Americans, and he's, like, bringing them in, and they're bringing all this new shit in, and the samurai are like, oh, what is the deal, man? So, the samurai feel like they need to overthrow the shogun. And so, um, they do in 1866. And so, um, his name is Tokugawa Keiki. He's the last shogun. In 1867, he relinquishes power to Emperor Meiji. And this change was unfortunately a double-edged sword for the samurai because the emperor begins kind of shifting the authority and replaces you know, like the authority of Edo with Tokyo, and uh, and kind of sort of replacing daimyo with governors, and, and just, you know, kind of morphing Japan into more of this Western society. In 1877, 9,000 samurai warriors rise in rebellion, and they are led by the likes of a man named Saigo Takamori. They end up being defeated, and... Um, but they, they, their final defeat is in a way that lives up to like the dopeness of samurai culture and the code. Because on the last day, they know they're going to lose. They spend the night writing these poems about how they're going to die the next day. And then they ride out into battle like some badasses. But no, they, they, they go out in like an honorable way. They ride out with their swords. They get massacred, but they die with honor. And um, the story goes that Saigo was shot but didn't die. And so his men bring him into the woods and behead him in like an honorable way, but then they hide his head. And the story goes that it's it's traditional because years before, when you're battling your enemy, you wouldn't want your enemy to have such a valued prize. You wouldn't want them to have 
your leader's head. So they hide the head and to preserve the samurai way, and this is kind of the moment that the age of Lu of Samurai has passed. After this is the last violent uprising. Um, interestingly, the movie The Last Samurai I loved as a child, incredibly problematic. I mean, Jesus Christ, Hollywood. It's sometimes it's like the decision making in those boardrooms is just horrific. But I, I really loved that movie as a child, and I think they could have done it so much more beautifully if it was just fucking Japanese people. But anyways, there is still a monument to Saigo Takamori in Japan, and he's known as the last samurai. And um, yeah, samurai fucking culture is most badass shit on the fucking planet. And uh, I'm so grateful to have you know, researched it for this episode because I, I know more about samurai culture than I did before. And uh, it's fucking fascinating. And history is fascinating. And I hope that I encourage someone to, to learn more about Samurai uh, after this episode. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You know, um, it's always, it's always going to be different shit that I talk about every week. But it's always going to be about things that fascinate me. You know, at the end of the day, the show is called Living With Will. And if you were living with me, this is what we would be talking about. You know, I'd be talking about Samurais with you. I'd be talking about 13th Amendment. We'd be talking about the history of the number 13. So, thank you so much for tuning in. So, um, peace, love, prosperity to you and your family. And I hope to see you next week uh, for another episode. And in the meantime, in between time, have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you.